Have you ever noticed that sometimes things are gone for good? My great-grandfather plowed a farm uh, in Norway with a horse and plow. I mean, that's an amazing way to farm. But today, we've got modern machinery that does the work, right? If someone told you about an airplane 100 years ago, you probably thought of something like this. But today, when you hear about an airplane, you think about something like this. When, you, when I grew up, I was uh, accustomed to shopping where stores, you'd walk into stores. <laughs> and today, we've got Amazon, right? And every other online platform. And think about technology, how that's gone for good. Uh, in 1990, uh, 1990 uh, our ministry had a, a retreat where I was leading. It was our young family's ministry. And my wife was pregnant with our third child. And she wasn't able to go on the retreat because it was going to be sort of like one of those any day kind of things. And so I was there leading the retreat. And one of our business owners in our church lent me his business cell phone so that I could be in contact with her at any time. <laughs> this was the cell phone. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. I'm walking around with a cell phone that I could just call home anytime like that. And, and that was amazing. And then my first cell phone that I owned, it was this model. Remember this one, the Motorola flip phone? It was so cool and sleek. I thought it was amazing, amazing. And then finally, thankfully, I got an iPhone. And that changed my life forever, right? And some of you probably have done the same. Now, if I was walking around with a cable connected to a phone today, you would say, what are you doing, man? That is gone. That stuff is gone for good. Most of the things that we talked about or saw on the screen today, uh, we recognize are gone for good, and we live in a new day. And the things that we live in now that are new are also gone for good. Well, that's an amazing truth. And actually, uh, these are just a few examples of the things that are gone for good in our lives. We don't go back uh, to plowing with horses anymore. We don't go back to flying with little machines that have been put together with uh, baling wire and, and tissue paper. Uh, we, we don't uh, shop only at malls. We have online resources before us, and we certainly don't walk, lug around cell phones that have cables attached to them and big boxes. Uh, those things are gone for good. But this is even more true in our Christian experience. This is more true in our lives as Christ followers. And the reason why it's more true for us is because the things that are gone for good in our lives aren't gone because uh, they're simply antiquated and there's newer technology. They're gone for good for a more systemic and powerful reason, something that God has done in our lives, a work that only God has done in our lives. And that's what we want to dig into a little bit today in our text, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll put a lot of scripture on the screen today, actually, to help some of us who may not be as familiar with scripture, just to help you follow along. But you can also look in your Bible there, because we're going to sit in this text for this week and next week, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where we read this amazing verse. And I love this verse, one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. I'd like you to read it out loud together with me. Ready? Here we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's an amazing scripture. In fact, this is a verse that we attach to our purpose statement here at Three Crosses of life transformation through following Christ. Everything we do around here is about life transformation through following Christ. And, and that's uh, something that we get excited about here at Three Crosses. And, and 
while the verbiage of our purpose statement may change over the years, the, the essence of it won't change, and that is that we believe when Christ comes into our life, everything changes. Old things are gone, new things have come. Today and next week, I'm going to consider this text as a perspective on how we ought to look at our lives. And it's going to be, I think, a lot of fun. And I'm going to call this the glory of our conversion or the, the change that Christ has made in our lives. Now, I've chosen this text for two reasons. One reason, it's a timely text. Uh, here we are at the cusp of a new year. The old year is about to be gone. And by the way, let me just take a moment for a second, since it's been a little while since I've been in front of you as, as a, a preaching pastor. Uh, I, I am so grateful for this last year. Uh, I think we can give God the glory for an amazing transition with our new pastor, Pastor Danny. He's done such a phenomenal job. I've enjoyed every week like you have, sitting under his teaching and growing in the Word of God. And I think back over this last year, how many beautiful things have happened in our church. And, and my own experience, now working with our prayer ministry and spiritual care, one of the highlights of this year was actually counseling at our high school summer camp and doing some special things in our prayer ministry. And it's been just so phenomenal. And coming through this Christmas season where Pastor Danny said so many people were touched, it's a beautiful time of year. It's an amazing thing. And so there's a timeliness to this text when we think of the old things that are about to be passed because we recognize that 2019 is about to pass. And it's amazing to think about that, right? I mean, no matter how good the year was or how bad the year was for you, no matter what, in just a few days, last year is going to be over, gone for good. We'll never live in it again. We'll never experience it. It's gone for good in a few days from now. And that's something that uh, actually is very similar to what Paul's saying right here in this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, the reason I say that is because when we look at Scripture to detect its precise meaning, we often look at verb tenses and moods to describe what's actually going on there. And when Paul says the old is gone, he uses a word in the Greek, the, the verb, which is in the aorist tense, which means this is something that is past. He uses this word old, which is the word we get archaic from. This old stuff that's in our lives is gone, and when it's in the aorist tense, it means it's gone for good. It's not just gone temporarily, it's gone for good. And that's an amazing truth. I want you to see today some things about this amazing truth. But it's not only a timely reason I choose this text, it's also, there's a truthful reason. There's something very powerful in truth that we're gonna look at today. It's truthfulness shouldn't be ignored. Uh, there's something here that I think all of us need because I don't know, I talk to people every week and I know in my own life I've had problems with thinking about my past and letting my past affect things going on in my present. And, uh, and some of us have that struggle today. We, we actually forget that God has done such a work of removing things from our lives, these things that are gone, and we actually find ourselves dipping back into them. We find ourselves in old patterns, temptations, habits, attitudes looking through the lens of our old life outside of Christ and carrying that into our new life in Christ. And that's just a, a very confused, debilitating position as a follower of Jesus, right? I mean, if we go back to our old ways, we're just miserable and we don't really understand why we're so confused half the time. So it's, there's a timely reason, but it's also for its truthfulness. I wanted you to see that. So as strange as it sounds, many believers in Christ uh, should recognize that things are gone for good in our lives. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's why we've called this little two-part series, Happy New You, 
Because what we're looking at in these two weeks is really the new creation that God has made of us, what he's put aside and what he's put in. Next week, we'll be looking at the new us, what God has put in, and I hope you'll be with us for that one as well. So let's dive into it. Now, I only have a few minutes this morning, and, uh, and I can assure you that there's probably more things that we could talk about in terms of what's gone for good, but I'm going to suggest to you this morning and actually argue this morning that there would be six, the most important six things that are gone for good in our lives are in and around this text this morning. I'm going to show you these the best I can. I think these are the most powerful six things, and I think there could be more. We could list more, but six most important things that are gone for good once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, all right? So if you're taking notes, I'm going to put these in principle forms, but for those of you that don't like to write much, I'm going to give you one-word statements that you can just write down, so this will be helpful for you. First of all, the first thing that's gone for good is our hostility toward God is gone for good. Now, we're going to rehearse sort of the basic tenets of the gospel when we look at this today, and I hope this will be an encouragement, somewhat of a reminder to us, but nevertheless, I think it'll be something that all of us can glean from today. Uh, I know that's basic to our understanding of the gospel, but it bears repeating that because a lot of people misunderstand the most fundamental reality of what it means to live in Christ or to trust in Christ and what our life was before. Now, I see this in the word reconciled. If you're there in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 18, where Paul continues and he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's where many misunderstand the gospel. The gospel is good news only insofar as we realize that it delivers us from our once held condition and position of being hostile toward God. Now, if your understanding of the gospel is that we're just all good with God and God is all good with us. There's no issue between us and God. And we just need God as sort of an additive, a healthy additive in our lives. That's not the gospel. The gospel declares that we are at enmity with God. There is a separation between us and God before we come to know Christ. And there's this hostility that is born into our lives. We, we don't necessarily think of it that way, but this results in God's judgment over humanity. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Eve and Adam desired to do the thing that God told them not to do. And the judgment of their decision, the judgment of their uh, sin falls onto all of us that we are born into this humani uh, humanity that is separated from God and at odds with God. By nature, we are born with hostility toward God. It's our nature. It has nothing to do with our social class, our gender, our race, our socioeconomic positions. All of us enter this world bent on rebelling against the God who created us. Paul writes in Colossians 1.21, and I'm going to have you read these scriptures out loud with me today because I think there's something healthy about you hearing with your own words what the scripture declares. So let's read Colossians 1.21. Paul writes, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, when we read something like that, we kind of have a tendency to think, that's not me, but that is me. Before I came to know Christ, before I placed my trust in Christ, before I was converted to Christ, I was an enemy of God. I was someone who shunned God, maybe passively, 
Maybe I even said nice things or maybe I, you know, was sympathetic to the gospel. But inside, deep down, I didn't want to bow my knee to anybody but myself. I was God to myself. That's the way all of us live before we come to know Christ. I like what Romans 5.10 says, and we don't have this on the screen, but let me just read it. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, Jesus died for our reconciliation. He pays the price so while we were once enemies of God, we could be reconciled to God. And this is what Paul is saying here when he talks about in Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have what? We have what? Peace with God. Have you ever heard that verse, Romans 5.1? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's amazing to me. We are at peace with God. And in fact, back here in... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, notice uh, how this is repeated. It's there in verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting uh, men's sins against them. This is the amazing thing that God has done for us. He has reconciled us to himself. I like how John writes about this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He, speaking of Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So of the many things this can do for us today, first of all, the the most basic practical outcome of recognizing that our hostility is gone between us and God is that we should never suspect that God has anything but love and care for us as his children. Now that is remarkable because I know some of us today struggle with how God feels about us as Christians. We've fallen into some sin, or we're carrying a bad attitude, or we've done something egregious, and we think, we think that God's ready to pounce because he's just so angry at us. God's reconciling us to himself makes us in a constant state, we'll see this more next week, in a constant renewed state of being in his favor 100% of the time. That is so amazing to me. And some of us today are living in and out of God's favor. When I seem to do good, God loves me. When I blow it and I'm a mess, God doesn't like me anymore and he's angry at me and he's ready to punish me. That's not the God of the scriptures and that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we've been reconciled to God, we are at peace with God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we should live that way and a lot of us don't live that way because we're thinking we're still under condemnation. One thing that's gone for good in your life is your hostility between God and you. God's anger toward you, your hostility toward God, that has been reconciled. We are at peace with God. And notice if you're there in chapter 5, it's here in verse 18, it's in verse 19, and it's also in verse 20. He says, we therefore as Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Which brings us to another thing that this ought to be what this truth ought to produce in our lives, we have to be champions of reconciliation. The one thing that we should leave behind of, of, of this year going into this next week is any feeling of unforgiveness towards someone else. Anything that is keeping you in a disassociation with someone that is in your life. You should, you should I should work and be a champion of reconciliation. Why? Because God has reconciled me. To himself. The most hostile, rebel person has been reconciled to God. That's me, and that's you. 
And so God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's not just evangelism, teaching other people to know Christ and to be reconciled to God, but it's our relationships with people too. Now you say, wait a minute, I've tried to reconcile with this person or my spouse or this or that, and it wasn't possible. You know, that's true. Sometimes reconciliation isn't possible in the human sense because in the human sense, it demands a few things. And trust has to be rebuilt. I love Romans 12, 18, I think it is. It says, if possible, be at peace with all men. Have you noticed that little if clause there? It's because it's not always possible. And so you can take yourself off the hook in a sense. If you've pursued reconciliation and reconciliation hasn't happened, you can still pray for that. You can still ask God to make, you know, give you a spirit of openness. But in a human sense, that's not always possible. But the point I'm trying to make is that we should be champions of reconciliation. If you're out of sorts with somebody in your life, in this church, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, you should be, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be a champion of reconciliation. Amen? Okay, that was weak, but I'll, okay, all right. All right, I'll be a reconciler, you know. No, no, you should be excited about that. All right, what, what else is gone for good? Not only is our hostility between us and God is gone, but sin's penalty is gone for good. Now, you weren't so excited about the first one, but you better get excited about this one. Sin's penalty is gone for good. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Aren't you glad that the death penalty over your life has been relieved? Dismissed? A full acquittal? 1 John 2, 2. He is our atoning sacrifice. That means that word uh, we sometimes translate in the English language, atoning. It also in chapter 4, verse 10, the propitiation. That's a big word. It means a full payment made. Amazing. Our debt has been paid in full. You know, when our first child was born, uh, our doctor told my wife, look, uh, we can deliver at Alameda Hospital. That's where I'm on the medical staff. Uh, you don't have to worry about anything. Uh, you're fit to have babies. Uh, if, there's, if there's any emergency, uh, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about it because you're going to be fine. You're going to have... So we plan on a natural birth at Alameda Hospital. Well, when Katie came along, it wasn't a natural birth. She was deciding not to come into this world and she had to be taken by C-section, okay? So that meant that our hospital bill was not covered by our insurance, and our doctor had said, no problem. But actually, there was a problem, like to the tune of about $28,000 problem. And I remember thinking, like, wow, what am I going to do? Like, I can't give my child back. Like, that's not, not an option. So what am I going to do? So I just prayed about it. My wife prayed about it. And about four days later, the hospital called me into their little, you know, business office. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have $28,000. Like, could I wash dishes? What could I do? You know, like, what, what is going to take place? And the, the attending business associate looked at me and said, you know, uh, the, your doctor came in and talked to us, and, and we've talked to the anesthesiologist, and we've decided to waive your entire uh, bill. And I was like, I, yeah, seriously, I said, God, I just said it out loud, God, thank you for this blessing. It was amazing. And I, I was thinking about this. Yeah, I mean, because right now we would just be poor, and Katie would be gone. I don't know. I could just be, but it worked out. But I was thinking about that with our RIP medical debt, which we were working toward. And I don't know if we met the goal, but, you know, that was really cool. I, I was thinking about people that would get a letter that said, 
because of some friends of yours at Three Crosses, your medical debt has been relieved. I thought, I know that feeling. That is an amazing feeling, especially if you've got tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. So to think that my debt has been paid is amazing to me. Colossians 2.13, let's read this out loud. Ready? Here we go. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Wow. Now, practically speaking, and we know this is true, and we live with this reality, three things should be true of our lives if we really understand this reality. First of all, uh, we should show gratitude to God. We should be like Larry in the business office at Alameda Hospital saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Every day, thank you, God, for forgiving my sins, for paying the penalty. Every single debt, not one penny do I owe because God has paid my debt through Jesus Christ, his son. That's amazing to me. There's no condemnation for me in Christ. There should be gratitude. And by the way, our gratitude should be coming out in our worship experience, in our prayer experience. We should be saying thank you to God more than anything else in our lives, right? And sometimes we don't. Most, most times we're asking God for stuff, asking God to get us out of this jam or make something happen in our lives or, or we're just kind of grumbling with God. We should be praising him, thanking him. Secondly, we should show love and acceptance toward others. God's forgiven us. Jesus said we should forgive as we've been forgiven. That's the Lord's prayer. Forgive us as we forgive the debts of others, right? Even as we forgive the debts of others. And we want the forgiveness of God, but we don't oftentimes let other people off the hook. We should be loving and forgiving toward others. And we should also, number three, we should sin less. There should be less sin in our lives. Christians are not, I say this all the time, but it's so true. Christians are not sinless, but we should sin less, right? Should sin less. How was it this last year for you? Is there less sin in your life or is there more sin in your life? If there's more sin in your life, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just probably means you're taking for granted the forgiveness of God in your life. And so, and that's going to lead to other problems, which we'll maybe get to in a minute here. But the point is, what's gone for good in my life is the hostility between me and God. What's gone for good in my life is the penalty of sin over my life. Aren't you glad? Number three, Satan's claim over us is gone for good. Man, am I glad about this one too. Satan's claim over us. And by the way, if you're looking for a word there, I would use the word identity. It's our old identity. We are no longer under Satan's dominion. Our identity was once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5, 8 says. And whatever we saw as our identity before coming to Christ, that stuff is gone. Listen, your identity is not in your career. It's not in your education it's not in your marital status. It's not in your hobbies or abilities. It's not in your gender. Your identity, your primary identity as a follower of Christ is that you are in Christ. This is the, Paul uses that preposition hundreds of times in the New Testament, that we are in Christ. This is what makes the difference between those. And you're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. There's no in-between. You're not sort of in Christ, and you're not sort of out of Christ. You're, you're either in or you're out. I like what one pastor said. You're either a saint or an ain't. You're, you're one or the other. And today you should think about which one you are. 
Because everything hangs in the balance of this. I like Colossians 1.13. Would you read it out loud with me? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. We no longer take residence in the world of darkness. We have a new citizenship. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3.20. Remember when Jesus talked to the Pharisees in John chapter 8? He said, you are of your father, the devil. The devil has claim over your life because you're still under his domain. But God sent Jesus into this world on a rescue mission. And he rescued those who would be his. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, he rescued you. If you're sitting here and you're thinking what it means to be a follower of Christ and you feel your spirit being convicted that you need forgiveness of sins, that you need to you know, bring this hostility to a close by trusting that Christ has done the work to reconcile you to God, you can come to this place of being no longer under Satan's domain. And by the way... Uh, this is, this is what we find here uh, throughout the text, actually, where we are free. We are now under, we are under a new appeal. We are as Christ's ambassadors, verse 20. Though God were making his appeal through us, we are no longer under Satan's dominion. On a practical basis, this truth casts out fear in our lives. We know who we belong to. We know we are his. That's amazing. So what, what is gone for good? Hostility between us and God. The penalty of sin is gone for good. Number three, the, uh, the amazing reality of Satan no longer having claim over us. Our old self is gone. We have a new self now. It's in Christ. Number four, our spiritual blindness is gone for good. We have woken up. We have seen now the truth of, of who Christ is. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, right in this context, just the previous chapter, verse 3, read it out loud with me. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Isn't that amazing? People's eyes are blinded. Remember when Jesus met the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in his pre-conversion? Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We are all blind until God opens our eyes. And once our eyes are open, we see everything differently. In fact, look back at our text in verse uh, 16. Right before this amazing truth, Paul writes, he says, so now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded even Christ this way. We do, no, we do so no longer. Earlier in the book, Paul writes, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for their foolishness to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. When we place our faith in Jesus, our blindness is removed as God has intended. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with blindness, not entirely, but I'm, my eyes are pretty bad. I've got terrible stigmatism. I've been through three iterations for these new glasses alone because my, my prescription is so crazy. It's plus nine in one eye, plus 
925 and another eye. And if you know anything about ophthalmology, you know that's bad, okay? So when I go to my, doc my eye doctor, they're always sort of amazed that I can even see. It's kind of fun. Um, but I was in the gym the other day, and I was, you know, I had, I had gotten ready to go, and I was standing at the mirror, you know, just kind of combing my hair. And this guy says to me, he says, hey, man, could I borrow your glasses? He said, uh, I can't see my, my combination on my lock, and I need, my, I need some glasses. And I said, man, you don't want to use my glasses for that. It'll make it worse. And he said, no, no, trust me. He thought, I guess, these were reading glasses. So I said, all right, man, here you go. So I gave it to him, and he puts them on, and he goes, Whoa! <laughs> And I had to lead him over to the locker where he was. <laughs> and I said, give it a try. And so he's like, he's up this close and he's looking. He goes, man, I can't read this. I go, give me my glasses back. I said, what's your combination? And so he told me his combination. So I opened his locker and I said, thanks. I'll be looking for you. If there's anything in there of value, I might be taking it later. It's just like. But you know, I know what it's like to be able to see where once I was blind uh, to a small degree. I can't imagine a person that has no sight. And all of us have had stories of people who have lost their sight. But you know, the reality is we're all blind before we come to Christ. And God opens our eyes. That's the, that's the glory of our conversion. We have sight where we once were blind. And that changes everything. One of the practical things that changes in our spiritual vision is that now we see everything in new light. We have a new perspective on everything. And one of the best ways to, to review that in your life, you've been a Christian for a while, one of the best ways to review that is hang around with new believers. I had the privilege of leading a young man to Christ a few weeks ago. And you know, his life got into a lot of trouble, got into pornography, uh, just a big mess. His marriage is a mess. So much is a mess in his life. But sincerely, he came to Christ. God opened his eyes. God caused him to see his utter sinfulness and his need for purity in Christ, and he opened his life to Christ, and he gave his life to Christ. He'd been reading scripture vociferously, and I've been meeting with him for the last few weeks, just once a week, uh, connecting and talking about things, and it's just so fun to hear his perspective on things, how his life is totally turned upside down, how everything he sees, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so dumb? How could I have been so blind? He uses those words to walk into these things in my life that I thought would give me life and only produce death and destruction in my life. My life has totally changed. You want to you wanna remind yourself of the beauty of perspective change? Hang around with new believers. Everything changes. The way they view their family, the way they view their personal life, the way they view their work, the way they view politics, the way they view this kingdom of the world. Everything's changed because I'm in Christ. And I hope that's true for you too. As a follower of Christ, I hope that you live in a perspective that's so different from the world. You're not embroiled in all the political arguments. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a political mess going on in our country, but we're not embroiled in it. I'm not embroiled in it because our kingdom is a kingdom of not this world. Our king is Jesus, and we're not looking for any political entity to save us or bring us home to glory or anything else. So we can have interest and we can have passion, but our lives don't revolve around politics around anything other than God's will being done in our lives and the lives of people around us. That's our calling in life. And don't hear me say that we shouldn't be salt and light, shouldn't have a permeated influence in our community and in our country. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we see things differently. Here's a fifth thing that, our old, that, that is gone for good. Our old nature's power is gone for good. And if you're looking for a word there, I would use the word chains. Because the chains are broken in Christ. 
Well, what I mean by this is that when we come to know Christ, the power cord of sin in our life is severed. The presence of sin is still around. The power of sin is still possible, but it's been disabled by the Spirit of God in our life. We have a new nature in us. Romans 6, 6 and 7, read with me quickly. Ready? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. The old system has gone away. By the way, that's why, you know, your phone is always updating and you don't always like that because it changes settings and it changes all the stuff. And then eventually it updates so much that you need to buy a new phone. This is all part of the, uh, you know, economy that we're living in, right? That's why we're not carrying around boxes with cords and things on them anymore. It's all designed to keep us moving forward and spending more money in this system. And I'm not bitter about it. I'm not bitter about it. But we need, we need to remember that when we come to Christ, we have a new system upgrade. And the old system just doesn't work anymore. That's why when you fall back into old patterns as a new believer in Christ, you're a miserable person, even though there might be a season of what's considered to be bliss in your life. It's all going to come caving in because the old system doesn't work in the new system. You can't put old wine in new wineskins. And this is why as a follower of Christ, we glory in our conversion that we have a new nature now in Christ. We don't have to obey sin. We don't have to obey temptation like we used to. We were a slave of sin. Now we have a power in our lives. We can say no. We can tell the devil to take a hike. We can say we've moved. We're not the same people anymore. We have the ultimate witness protection in Christ. That we have a new identity and it's in Christ. Okay, there's a lot more. But let's just finish this up. This is, this is perhaps the most practical of all what's gone in our lives. What's gone in our lives is the fear that anything in our past will hinder God's purposes for our lives now or in the future. I don't know if you got that. I'm going to use the word regret. Regret is gone because when Christ comes into our lives, we know without a shadow of a doubt that God is a God who redeems broken things. And we know that according to Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan. So we know that no matter what has happened in our past, that doesn't change. It will never alter what God has in store for us now or in the future. Listen, my past can uh, create some challenges for my life in the future, but my past will not dictate my future. My past is gone in Christ. And if you're in Christ today, your past is gone too. And Paul asks the question, he says, can anything separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Romans chapter 8. And he goes on to say, nothing can separate us. Death can't. Life can't. Demons can't. Present can't. The future can't. Powers can't. Height can't. Depth can't. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's past is any fear that what has happened in our past determines what happens in our future. And today, if you're in Christ, all of those things are gone in your life. Your hostility between God and, and you are gone. The penalty of sin is gone for good. Not only the penalty of sin is gone for good, but the, our, our identity, our old identity is gone for good. We are a new creation. 
Our darkness, our blindness is gone. Our chains are gone. Our regrets are gone. And they are gone for good. That's good news. And when, when you come to the end of this year and it's gone, I want you to think about 2 Corinthians 5.17, your life in Christ. And I want you to come back next week to learn what is here to stay. Okay? Let's go to the Lord.